Hello and welcome back to the Michigan State of Sports. I'm your host, Tony Garcia, and this week we will be... Whoa, whoa, sorry, technical difficulty. On this episode, we're going to... Oh yeah, that's right. That was the fart that propelled the diarrhea that was this weekend streaming down every person's leg on every major football team in our state for their offensive performances. Not offensive, offensive. This weekend's football was so unprepared, so undisciplined, so riddled with poor play calling, terrible coaching, and all-around bad execution. There's just two options. And one is burn the tape. All of it. Except that's not always productive. And honestly, I think only one of these three teams that just got blown out has the luxury of being able to do that. And that's not to say this team maybe didn't look the worst of the three. But it's somewhat understandable. That's Michigan State. Look, it's never okay to lose by 42 points. But if it ever were, it's in the first month of a new coaching regime, coming off of an improbable win that had your team play at its highest, most perfect level, and then go to play a team that is 0-2 that you might have think has lost its way, but S&P rankings entering the game had Iowa ranked number 22 overall in the country based on a myriad of factors, and you get absolutely punched in the mouth. I mean a Mike Tyson right to the grill. That's as much MSU talk as we're doing today. Because frankly, their their worries at this stage in the rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, are so much lower than where the other two programs, organizations are right now. It is not even funny. Which brings us to option two. And that's what this show is really dedicated to. And that's why it's called Pack Your Bags. That's the other option. We have reached the end of two eras in this state because it is abundantly clear neither Jim Harbaugh nor Matt Patricia are capable of doing what they came to do at their respective stops. Jim Harbaugh's not going to beat Ohio State. He's not going to Indy. He's not going to win a Big Ten title. He's not going to win a meaningful bowl game. He's not going to go to the CFP. And he's not going to compete for championships. And Matt Patricia who came in because Bob Quinn inherited Jim Caldwell from the previous regime and didn't have a real reason to let him go, decided to use 9-7, and wasn't good enough, we want to go from being fringe contenders to real contenders, as his excuse to hire his boy. And the Lions have won 12 games since then, in two and a half seasons. He fired a man for winning nine games in one year. They are 12-27-1. If 9-7 and seven gets you fired, what does 12-27-1 and one do? Gets you, should get you loaded into a rocket launcher and sent into orbit. And it's not just like these teams are losing. They are non-competitive against good teams. They look wholly overwhelmed. I mean, they're, ne- they're never losing in the first half, and you go into halftime, you make schematic adjustments, and then you start winning. That, that, that never happens. We need to address one thing at a time, and we're going to start with the Lions, because the answer there is more cut and dry than it is with Michigan. Start over. Rip the Band-Aid all the way off from scratch. 
complete overhaul. Did I stutter? Complete overhaul. You want to know what happens when you start over? You get 28 of 42 for 326 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. That was Justin Herbert this week in a loss to the Raiders. They lost by five because their backup tight end dropped a ball in the end zone as time expired. The Chargers are 2-7. and seven. Yes, that's not great. It's obviously bad by record. But they've lost two weeks in a row on a play as time expired. And they've blown four double-digit leads this month. That's not just Justin Harbour, and that's not just rookie pains. I mean, Anthony Lynn is not Bill Belichick out here. But they're competitive in every game. And they know exactly who is going to lead their franchise for a decade. They know that three weeks in. Excuse me, eight weeks in. They know, they, they know it. The Chargers are set. They have their guy. It's just time to build around him. Or it gets you 26 of 37 for 249 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks in a 31-20 win over the Titans. That was Joe Burrow last week. The Bengals led the whole way. And he does not have an offensive line. He has the worst offensive line in the National Football League. The Bengals are 2-5-1. That's half a game behind you. And Joe Burrow has played for eight weeks. And Matt Stafford has been here for a dozen years. Every loss that the Bengals have had, except to the Ravens when they lost 28-3, has come by five points or less. Again, they are competitive in every game. And that's without having an offensive line. But fine. the That's not quite a fair comparison because Burrow was drafted number one overall. Yes, Stafford was drafted number one overall. But I'm saying you could not have got Burrow in this in this last draft. You could have taken Justin Herbert. You could have taken, hmm, how about this next guy who I wanted at three, who I was willing to have sit behind Stafford for a year if that's what it took. Or if you get to this three and five point like the Lions have, and they would be three and five whether or not they drafted Jeff Okuda, who has made absolutely no difference this year. you would have Tua Tagovailoa to turn to, to turn the next page, and this rebuild would already be started. What did Tua do this last weekend? Hmm. 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 20 of 28 for 248 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He ran for another 35 yards, including a huge third down play when the Dolphins were down a touchdown in Arizona. And oh, by the way, they came back in the fourth quarter when it was a back and forth game the whole way and beat the Cardinals, who were previously 5-2. and two. And now the Dolphins, year one of the rebuild, are 5-3. and three. Tua is 2-0. and oh. He has played in eight quarters and has two wins. You have three wins in the last 18 weeks. So why don't you have him? Why is he not on this team? Because the Ford family, or more specifically, Sheila Ford, who, you know, was going to be so much more approachable and transparent than her mom. 
But we haven't heard from all season. Not a word. Yeah, she said that she wanted to give this regime one more chance. You know, be competitive. Compete for a playoff spot. Show improvement. And you drafted a corner at three because, solely because he was ready to help this team win now. That's why Bob Quinn took him. He knew his job was on the line. And he wanted he didn't want to work on a project for a quarterback for the next GM to fix or to, or to use to build. He wanted someone who was going to help right now. And you know what Jeff Okuda's done? He's ranked 107th out of 117 cornerbacks in the NFL according to Pro Football Focus. There are 10 cornerbacks in the league who have been worse than him. Top 3 pick. Now, that is not to say that Jeff Okuda is always going to be terrible. It is a really, really hard position, especially for rookies, especially if you're overdrafted. But come on. I saw a tweet. Daryl Roberts, who was a seventh-round pick, who was released by the Jets last year, and the Lions signed to a one-year, $1 million deal, he's ranked 100th. A $1 million dude who was who you picked up off the scrap heap is ranked higher than your third overall pick. But they were supposed to just compete for a playoff spot, you know? Just just be just be competitive. Show us that this is in the right direction. The playoffs are now expanded to seven teams each, and these bums in Detroit with an elite quarterback aren't even close. Meanwhile, Patricia just moved to 0-10 in his tenure with the Lions against the Viking and Bears. Oh, and 10. He's lost nine straight in the division. Now, I got to say this. Stafford made some backbreaking throws. Probably the two worst throws of the season. Two of them. There's no excuse for that. You can't throw two picks in the red zone. Maybe one if it's a jump ball gets tipped. I mean, they were bad throws. They were bad throws into coverage that were forced or he missed a linebacker sinking into his zone on the first one. Now, he didn't exactly have receivers running open, and that's a really scary thought when, because Kenny Galladay is not there, no one can get open. No one. But even if Stafford is perfect all day, he doesn't get hurt. He throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns, the Lions still lose. Because the defense is a sieve. And Dalvin Cook ran through our so-called front, like, like the... Like the MFing Kool-Aid man. Oh yeah, 10 yards. Oh yeah, 14 yards. Oh yeah, 70-yard touchdown. With, by the way, 10 men on the field on defense. The Lions gave up nearly 300 rushing yards. The most in a game since 2009. That was the final game Jim Schwartz coached. I am almost never one. I mean, I mean, I mean, there is so much blame to go around here. It is impossible to pin it all on Patricia or all on Quinn. I mean, players have to play, but give me a freaking break. And I'm going to cast a little bit of blame on a group I almost never, very close to almost never blame. And that's very specific members of the media i.e. Detroit Free Press' Carlos Monterez. 
I mean, the owners and the GMs and the players, they don't listen to us. They don't give a damn if I think they needed to sell last year. But when Monterez, for the Freep, projectile vomits out a story titled, Believe It or Not, The Lions Are Better Than You Think, that's when I understand blaming the media. That enables ridiculous Honolulu Blue Kool-Aid drinkers to think that this is acceptable. And if fans don't turn on this team, which they never have and seemingly never will, because they don't think they deserve a respectable product, then there's no heat on ownership to change. Sunday was malfeasance of the highest order. Every single position group on the field was overmatched. The best player for the Lions was DeAndre Swift, far and away, who was an athletic playmaker who only got to touch the ball 16 times and went nearly 100 yards with it. 16 is still, if not the most, the second most touches he's had in a single game. But we still had to watch Adrian Peterson get 11 touches for 43 yards. Look, I love AP. We all grew up with Adrian Peterson. It's kind of cool to see him on the Lions, but enough is enough. That, that, that shit was cool week one. It, it, it's, it's really old now. If you take out his longest catch of 10 whole yards and longest run of 8 whole yards, he had 9 touches for 25 yards. Less than 3 apiece. That's not doing anything. So, like I said, enough is enough. And this is the plan. Trade Matthew Stafford to the Indianapolis Colts. You're not going to be able to do it this year, but it needs to happen in the offseason. I'm talking full rebuild. Look, I will never have ill will towards the real Matty Ice, Matt Stafford. I won't. He he didn't do what we all thought he was going to do when he was when he came here. He, he he didn't exactly galvanize the locker room other than that one win his second year against Cleveland when he had to pop his shoulder back in. But he's a leader in his own way. He should have demanded more. But part of me thinks he's just too nice of a guy. I mean, how mad and how much fire can you have lit under your ass when you've been paid $400 million? And that's that's the biggest indictment I have on him. However, I'm not going to blame him for the Lions' ineptitude. This is on ownership. This is on management. This is on coaches. When he had a real team around him, he was. they went 11-5, and 9-7, 9-7. They were competing for the playoffs. He came up a little bit short. But that was years like five, six. He was still, and he hadn't won before. There is a little bit of a learning curve there. But let me get back to the point. The Colts have a corpse at quarterback. The corpse that was Phillip Rivers. And he, he's only on a one-year deal. You know, I mean, they paid him $25 million, so clearly they're not worried about paying veteran quarterbacks big money. And Stafford will have a year left on his deal next year. Trade him. Get their first rounder this year, or in in the, in the offseason in 2021, which will be probably in the range of 20. Colts should pick right around 20. And then you can package. You, you got to start losing fast. If you can, if you can somehow win two more games or fewer, and I hope the Lions don't stumble their way to more wins than that. That's five and eleven. You should, should. Get a top 10 pick. And then you have 20. You have 10. 
you got to package those together. Give up probably something significant in 2022. Maybe a third rounder. Look, I know this is a lot to give up. But you got to get this rebuild going. You got to get this thing off the ground. And you got to trade up somehow, get in the top five, get a quarterback. You're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. You might not get Justin Fields. Zach Wilson sounds pretty good right now. And that's not just knee-jerk, oh, let's get rid of everything. No, that's what the Lions need. That's what young, talented quarterbacks do. Not all of them. Some don't work. Sam Darnold was supposed to be a sure thing. Josh Rosen was supposed to be a sure thing. Neither of those worked out. Sam Darnold might be all right somewhere not in New York. Josh Rosen won't be. But you know what Arizona did? They cut bait immediately. They saw one year in, this guy ain't it. They fired their GM, they fired their coach, hired new people, got the number one pick, got Kyler Murray. They are 5-3. and three. They just had a pretty upsetting loss. Two they're going to regret, one to the Dolphins, one to the Lions, but they're still in that learning how to win mode. And, and the Cardinals should probably squeeze, sneak into the playoffs this year. Year two. They were a dumpster fire two years ago. Dumpster fire. They now have a, a top five quarterback in the NFL. And obviously, if you're trading Stafford, that's because we're blowing up management. GM, Bob Quinn, we'll be seeing you. Matt Patricia, bye-bye. Obviously. So now who's going to be the coach? Who's going to be the GM? I'm thinking, how about a little Chiefs pairing? Mike Borgazzoni, the director of football operations for the Chiefs. I'm thinking he would be okay with bringing his boy, Eric Bieniemy, Because Bieniemy, he is my first, second, and third option as an NFL coach. How he did not get one this last season is beyond me. Other than the fact that the NFL has an issue hiring black coaches. If he's white, he has a job right now. And he will next year. Somewhere. Because Andy Reid gets a ton of credit for the Chiefs offense. Really all of it. And of course he deserves the majority of it. But Eric Bieniemy calls the plays. He's in charge of the offense. He is the right hand man or the 1A, 1B of the, of the most explosive offense that the NFL has seen since like the greatest show on turf or something. I mean, and if you can't get that stack, I'd say the other guy I'm looking for at GM would be Ed Dodds, who's also in the Colts organization. Uh, he, he's the vice president of personnel for the Colts, has long been considered one of the top scouts in the NFL. And I wonder if he could bring up someone like, like Jim Harbaugh from the college ranks or something. <laughs> Psych. But, but really, those, those are a couple guys I'm starting to identify as, as general management GM candidates. Biennemi, like I said, is far and away my number one. I don't even want to think about a number two option right now. You might have to. But that's what we got to do. You got to identify this here and now on November 9th. Because regardless what happens against the lonely Washington football team next week and the Texans, I don't care if you win both those games. Five and five is nothing. You lose to teams that have a pulse. The Vikings are starting to round into form. 
You just got blown out. You played the Packers. You got blown out. You played the Saints. You got blown out. You played the Colts. You got blown out. It's not close here. It sucks. It, this, this blows. This is not fun. I decided to start this podcast two weeks ago. And I was not thinking, yeah, you know, let me just shit on all of our teams as I'm trying to gain a listening and followers. That's fun. People want to hear about that. No one wants this. This sucks. But we're talking about what we think is best for our teams. And that's what we got to do. I'm almost 28. And they weren't close to winning. But under Jim Caldwell there, we're starting to build a decent culture. And getting close to becoming... They were finally not a laughing stock. But then... Mr. Pencil came in and brought us right right back, right back to where we were before Jim Schwartz started to turn things around. Lines are a joke again, and not a good one. Speaking of other not good jokes, seamless transition from Mr. Pencil to Mr. Khaki. Bye-bye. We'll be seeing you. Sorry about that door print on your ass that hit you on the way out. We will we will fix those pants. Give you a lifetime supply of khakis if you are done holding our football program hostage. That's what I'm saying if I'm a Michigan fan. And it's not just Jim's fault that he's holding them hostage because unrealistic expectations were were heaped upon him upon his arrival. But that's sort of what he's done because people assume. If Jim Harbaugh is here in Ann Arbor, they will win. That, that was the assumption from day one. And no one has wanted to question it ever. But there's always been a reason or an excuse why they haven't. It was a lucky play that Michigan State got in 2015. Not bad coaching that you didn't waste all the time on the clock. When you would have, when snapping it with 10 seconds left on third down. When if you just waited till the end, you could have ran the clock out. Not having... Uh, max protect when Michigan State has no one deep. No, lucky play. A bad spot in Ohio, in Columbus in 2016. And then you lose in, in, in overtime. Or in 2017 when you played four ranked teams and you lost to all four. Then you lost the bowl game. Or in 2018 when you won 10 straight games after a season opening loss to Notre Dame. Things were looking up. That that, that was the, the Jim Harbaugh you you hired and then mm, you know you know a 50 burger you gave up a 60 burger 62 points to ohio state then you get then you lose by four touchdowns in the peach bowl to florida or last year when you were damn lucky to escape beating army i mean damn lucky and then you get pummeled by wisconsin a week later you did have a couple of good wins against iowa and notre dame Felt like the Notre Dame one was the most impressive of the Harbaugh era. Um, and then you annihilate MSU. You're turning Michigan State and all these things that you said they were going to go back to once Harbaugh came. You're rounding into form. Smack 56-27 Ohio State. Doubled up. Then you get Alabama in the bowl game. 35-16 loss. Ohio State, Alabama, Florida, those are the programs that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are supposed to be competing with. 
And then if you throw in Michigan State, Penn State, Notre Dame, because because those you're you're running a lot of recruiting battles against those teams, because Penn State is now fleecing you in Detroit and getting everybody out of your backyard. So throwing those like those top tier teams and then the teams, Michigan State, Penn State, Notre Dame that you're either recruiting against or playing against in the Big Ten East every year, you're three and seven against those ten teams over the past two years, and you still have to play. Penn State and Ohio State this year. Best case scenario, you're going one and one, so you're four and eight in twelve games over two years against the teams you're supposed to be competing against. And now, you got thoroughly outplayed by Indiana. You've already lost to Michigan State, and you're gonna lose to Ohio State, and probably Wisconsin next weekend. The only reason you might not is they haven't been able to play in weeks because 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 of, of COVID. They don't know if they're going to have their their backup quarterback, who who Mertz, who did look nice in week one. So and and his backup, if they had to play Nebraska week two, they were going to play their fourth string quarterback because Jack Cohn, the starter, got hurt prior to the season, needed surgery. So maybe you beat Wisconsin, probably not. Now you're one and three. You lose to Ohio State, one and four. Obviously, this is not in order, but those are four losses. And then you have to beat Maryland, who looks kind of good now that they have the younger Tagovailoa, Talia. And then you and you have to play Penn State, who is also a dumpster fire. But but all, all this to say, I mean, best best guess is you go four and four this year in year six, and the best win of the season will be against Minnesota. Penn State in a down year. I mean, see, James Franklin can afford a down year like he's having with Penn State because they've won a Big Ten title. He can find Indy with a compass. Michigan can't find Indianapolis with a GPS and a car that has autopilot. This whole thing has gone so far backwards, it's really hard to describe. The Don Brown experiment feels like it can't work unless you have absolutely elite cornerback play which Michigan doesn't have right now. I mean, I mean, yikes. I I almost almost feel bad for Vincent Gray. This dude is so overmatched and they're just leaving him there. And then, I mean, now now is the time to either put your big boy pants on or to come up with more reasons, more explanations, which are really excuses. See, see, see the difference in those words? It's a subtle but important distinction. Let's try it one more time. Excuses or reasons. There we go. Okay, we got it. Michigan has is, is has missed a number of players in its front seven defensively. Cam McGrone has missed time. Michael Barrett has missed time. And it looks like now they're going to be without Quiddy Pay or Aiden Hutchinson. But but that's a year one or year two excuse. Or not a powerhouse football team excuse. This entire roster is Harbaugh's choosing. He should have the guys to be somewhat next man up. And not get annihilated. And the offense isn't much better. Michigan ran the ball 18 times for 13 yards. Let's try that again. 18 rushes, 13 yards. That's the fewest run rushing yards they've had in a game since negative 48 against Michigan State in 2013. Now that 
was a great day. That was a great day. I digress. And, and, and now's the chance for more excuses or more reasons. They didn't have Ryan Hayes or Jalen Mayfield, two of their starting offensive linemen, and that's going to hurt a lot of teams. Should you average .7 yards per carry, even if you're without 40% of your offensive line? You can't break one run. You can't run some jet sweeps to manufacture rushing yards. I mean, just get Blake Corum the ball in space. He's quick. I mean, something. I mean, the, the offense was lost in the first half. They went three and out four times in seven trips. And they were 0 of 5 on third down while falling behind 24 to 7 in the first half. You're already down 17 points. I mean, yes, you can come back in college, but that was the ball game. You lost it in the first half. And now we're going to play our favorite game again, reasons or excuses. Michigan lost 10 players to the NFL draft last year. That's a positive sign for the program. You're developing players or... You're recruiting talented players who maybe aren't developing as much as they should. Ahem, Jabril Peppers. Ahem, Rayshon Gary. But they're still getting... But but one way or the other, whether you're turning them into pro players or they come in bound to be pro players if you don't screw them up, they're on your roster. And you sent 10 of them to the NFL. That's a good sign. But now they're gone and you're supposed to have next man up. This was always going to be a little bit of a down year. Once Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins opted out, and you're you're breaking in a new quarterback, and pandemic, I get all of it. But that doesn't address the fundamental issue, that there is no depth. Why is there no depth? Ohio State lost 10 players to the NFL draft last year. They're number three in the country. Joe Milton looks like a solid first-year player. He made some nice throws to Cornelius Johnson on the touchdown, to Bell on a touchdown. But he also threw overthrew Ronnie Bell on what should have been a score. He threw two fourth-quarter picks. He locks in on one receiver too much. And that's all common first-year stuff. But Harbaugh was known for quarterback development. We shouldn't be more than a half decade in And you're wondering if maybe, you know, somehow with some seasoning, this might be the guy. In my opinion, this this Harbaugh experiment, it didn't work. It did not work. And I get it. He's making money, and the boosters like that. He has Michigan in the national media focus, unlike Hoke or Richrod did. And the university likes that. But he's losing too much for anybody to like that. He's losing too much for anybody to like that. If I'm a Michigan fan, I have one request if the, if they are able to move on from Jim Harbaugh. Please don't hire a Michigan man. Try it try it on for size. Just try it. Ward Manuel did that for football and he did that for basketball. And honestly, I'm not going to hate on basketball cuz Michigan just got another five-star recruit in Musa. Uh, I, I don't know how to say his last name. I think it's Diabate, the five-star. He's a stud. He's top 20 player in the 2021 class. Maybe, you know what? Maybe you should start saying basketball school, honestly. Because Michigan, over the last 10, 15 years, 
has been way better at hoops, but we're not going to get too far away. So Manuel hired a Michigan guy for football, and he hired a Michigan guy for basketball. And it, it kind of worked, kind of didn't in football. Looks like it might be working in basketball, although the jury is completely out because Michigan still hasn't won anything yet. It's only been a year, but Jawan Howard is obviously doing some good things, at least on the recruiting level right now. But you can't do this again in football. Michigan football is stale. The swagger feels like it's gone. The results leave so much to be desired. And Michigan is still a good place to play. It's just not a great one. Not right now. So I'm going to keep beating this drum and standing on my soapbox until it's realized. Either acknowledge you are somewhere between Iowa and Wisconsin or do something to elevate yourself and change your culture. A Michigan man who knows how things are done here and all of that crap who's just going to wax poetic isn't what this program needs. It needs someone who can deliver the truth and say, I'm going to be the one to get this program to where it should be. Michigan is such a national relevant institution, nationally relevant institution. There's no reason that they, that they shouldn't be competing with Ohio State. Yes, Ohio State is on a heater. But Michigan, sh- for all justifiable reasons and for everything you can think, should be able to, to do that. Not because that's what they've always been, because they haven't been, but you have all the resources in the world to do it. And, and you just haven't. So, that's why this episode is, uh, is, is a pack your bags episode. I, there's nothing left I need to see from either coach. Don Brown feels like he's done. Jim Harbaugh feels like he's done. It, it, it doesn't work in Michigan. Matt Patricia has been toast. And I want to see all of them go. The answer to everything is not, oh, let's fire and start over. That's stupid. That's lazy. That's lame. We've seen everything we need to see in these two organizations. Michigan has had six years. I don't care if it's a down year. I don't care if it's a pandemic. Is there ever an instance when Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio, uh, or of that a team of that ilk of that level Georgia goes 4 and 4 and, and and hasn't won anything prior 6 years in and still keeps its coach Of course not You need to hold them just like the fans need to hold Detroit to a higher standard They need to do that with Michigan Now briefly very briefly on Michigan State yikes That's more like what we thought we were going to see this year. I mean, defensive linemen getting powered off the ball by Iowa. An offense that looks very one-dimensional. If you can't open up uh, a shot, take a shot down the field and open up the defense over the top, Rocky's not really going through much progression underneath. Nobody's really running. I mean, just like Michigan rotating four running backs, I think Michigan State rotated four running backs. Wright got some work. Elijah Collins got some work. Simmons got some work. Hayward got some work. None of them looked great 
I still think Elijah Collins and Jordan Simmons are very talented players. But but th- this one's going to be painful. This this one meaning the rebuild. It's going to take some time. But you know what? Michigan State is doing it. These other teams aren't aren't there. You could we can't have expected Michigan to start a rebuild cuz you could have given it one more go around this year, even though it didn't go well with Harbaugh last year. But eventually you need to say enough is enough. The Lions needed to say enough is enough a year ago. Michigan State needs to give Mel Tucker at least three full seasons. Because this one, this year, he's been calling it the whole time. Year zero. He didn't. He inherited a full team. He didn't get a single player to choose on his team. So really, he hasn't even started to implement what he's doing. He is implementing his scheme with players who recruit were recruited to do something else. So this is sort of year zero. And then give him next year, give him the year after. If you're not above 500, if you're not beating teams that you should be beating, competitive against some of the, some of the big boys, the Penn States, the Wisconsins, the Ohio States, yes, even the Michigans, which so far so good in that regard, and if you're not doing that, then you got you got to start asking questions. But Michigan State only opens as nine-point underdogs against Indiana, which is another hard-to-figure line. But that, that, that was all I wanted to touch on on Michigan State. I mean, it was awful. It, it couldn't have looked worse. There was nothing nothing they did right. I'm, I'm trying to think of anybody who stood out in that game and I can't think of a single person I mean I mean, it, it was just yikes top to bottom front to back but every season you're allowed one burn the tape I don't think Rutgers was a burn the tape I think because this loss felt very different than Rutgers Rutgers was just turnover like just sloppy turnovers like like fumbles this was bad interceptions this was not moving the ball. This was getting gashed at the point of attack. Iowa just picking up chunk plays on the ground, through the air. I mean, you made this offense look like Ohio State. Iowa scored 42 points against Michigan State. And they hadn't scored more than 21 points in a game this year. So, that's more what we expected from Michigan State this year. Really tough to see it after such a promising weekend in Ann Arbor, but it is what it is. And that is going to do it for this third episode of the Michigan State of Sports. Thank you very much for sticking with me. Like I said at the beginning of the show starting, it's going to take about a week to 10 days to start getting onto some of the streaming platforms that, that we all listen to our podcasts on. Bear with me. That should be happening soon. I will. I know I keep saying have guests on. They will be coming. Have no fear. And eventually we will be able to talk about something other than why the Lions need to fire Matt Patricia and why Michigan needs to get rid of Jim Harbaugh. So thanks. Appreciate it. As always, when you can, rate, review, and subscribe. Please share this podcast with anyone. Send me questions if you have them. Feedback if you have it. I welcome all of it. Talk to you later, Michigan.